Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper for us to read so we may know that He loves us and wants to spend eternity with us. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. That is my prayer. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is the journey. And thanks for joining me. And last week in episode 1, we started off in Matthew, uh, starting off the New Testament. We talked about how Matthew is a fantastic transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, uh, with a lot of the reason being uh, that Matthew does such a good job at tying in the Old Testament prophecies uh, to, the, uh, to the New Testament and what we read about, about Jesus. And we talked about the kingdom and the king, which is Jesus. That's really what Matthew focuses on. He focuses on the kingship of Jesus. And we talked about how he came and three aspects of his coming. He came as man, as a personal savior. He came as God, as a powerful savior. And he came to deliver us from sin. He came as a purposeful savior. So this week we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 2 and just kind of pull out a little verse uh, that uh, from that chapter that I want to talk about for a little bit. And so it's Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here we are jumping right into the middle of the story of the wise men that we see in Matthew chapter 2. And this is one of three special visitations we see in the Gospels at Jesus' birth. So the story of Jesus' birth, it's told in two places. It's told here uh, last week, we, you know, we read Matthew chapter 1. Um, and then it is also told uh, in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, those are the two places in the Gospels where we see Jesus' birth. And there are three special visitations we see in the Gospels. Uh, one of those visitations is the angels of Luke chapter 2 uh, proclaiming his deity. And we can read it in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. The angels are crying, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Uh, we see another visitation in Luke chapter 2, and that is the shepherds exhibiting the lowly state in which he came. They came to the stable in which Jesus was born. They saw him laying in a manger just as the angels said they would in Luke 2, verse 12. And here in Matthew chapter 2, we see the wise men coming. And the wise men came, they went before King Herod and said, hey, we're looking for this newborn king, this king of the Jews, uh, which elicited quite a, uh, a response from Herod. He, he certainly did not want uh, another king, for he was king of, um, of the people at that time. So he just certainly did not want another king coming along and, and usurping his authority. And so he devised a plan where he would try to uh, kill this child. He told the wise man, hey, when you find him, come let me know and so that I may worship him. But that's not really what he was interested in doing. You can, uh, you can find that story uh, again in Matthew chapter 2. We're just, uh, we just pulled out one verse that we're going to focus on, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And we see here that they, they followed a star. I believe that was a divine uh, sign from God. And they found his house where Mary and Joseph and Jesus lived. 
And then what we read, they went into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This was not really unusual um, as far as uh, ro- you know, important people visiting royalty and giving gifts. Um, that was very customary in their day. Um, so it would have been very customary, very um, right in cultural uh, terms uh, for these men uh, to do so. These were very important men. Where exactly they were from, we don't know, but we just we know they're somewhere from the east. So they could be somewhere you know, from ancient Persia or somewhere in that in that area. But we know that these were important men, uh, these wise men that came. And so it would have been customary for them to visit royal births and to give gifts. Obviously, in here in this story, the important aspect of that is they were visiting a child in a house. They didn't go to a palace. They didn't go to a throne room. They went to a house. And I don't think perhaps that they grasped that this was God come as man as they saw the the child there in, in the house with, with his mother. I, I don't think they grasped in that moment that they were looking at God incarnate, but they knew that they were coming to see a king. I don't think it's a coincidence that we see the chronology that we see here. The king came last week, that's what we talked about, and the king is worshipped. And here's the cool thing about it. These wise men were Gentiles. They were not of the nation of Israel. They were not of Jewish descent. They were Gentiles. But they came to worship a Jewish king. What does this tell us? Well, it it signifies the fact that Jesus came so that all the world could be saved. He came so that John, the Apostle John, one of his disciples, could say in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The coming of these Gentile men was prophetic that this child that they worshipped would be the road for all men to come to the Father. So today, for just a few moments, I want to talk a little bit about worship. That's what we see here in this story of the wise men. They came and they worshiped Jesus. And in doing so, they were following right along with what Matthew is focusing on. And that is recognizing the kingship of Jesus. And here in the story, we see three aspects of worship that I want to uh, draw out for us uh, today. The first is the humility of worship. What does the text say here in uh, verse 11? It says, They saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? They fell down and worshipped him. This is the foundation of worship. I heard someone say once that worship is worth-ship. It is attributing worth to someone or something. And that's where humility comes in. Because it is impossible to worship without Humility. It is impossible to attribute worth to God if we place ourselves in a place of too much importance. Humility, you see, requires us removing ourselves from the throne of our life and allowing the king to have proper place. 
We see that here in the story of the wise men. What does it say? They, they fell down and worshipped him. And in falling down and worshipping him, the wise men assumed the position of humility. They were placing themselves in a position below Jesus. And this is the proper attitude of worship. It is us getting out of the way and letting him have his way. It is, as John the Baptist proclaimed, I must decrease so he may increase. It is the refrain often repeated throughout the Psalms, like in Psalms 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What happens when we magnify something? Everything else around that which we are magnifying is brought out of focus as our focus engages on who Jesus is. And when we do that, humility is going to follow. Because we're going to realize that Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the God of the universe. He is the creator of all. And in the same breadth, we understand who we are. That we are his creation. And it is our need to submit to his kingship. We, we see this posture of, of worship being taken throughout Scripture, this, this posture of humility uh, being taken, you know, being seen throughout Scripture as people are brought into the presence of God. We see in Exodus chapter 19, which this story is later expounded upon in Hebrews chapter 12, the children, they have just been delivered from Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea and they are now uh, camped before Mount Sinai. God is telling them he is going to come down and talk with them. He's going to meet with them and he's going to tell them how they can be his people and how he wants to be their God. When he does come down, he came down in clouds with thunder and lightning and loud trumpeting sounds. The people were so terrified, they begged Moses to go up in their place because they couldn't stand it. They realized they were in the presence of the God of the universe. And for them, it was a terrifying experience. We can see in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, the prophet of God, he was given a vision of the Lord on his throne. Isaiah describes the scene this way in chapter 6 of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah here, he sees the Lord on his throne and he is brought to a realization that he is a sinner. And that is the realization that we see of ourselves when we come into the presence of God. We realize how great he is and what a sinner I am. We can also see this in Revelation chapter 1. The Apostle John is brought before Jesus. And in verses 10 through 16 of Revelation 1, John gives a vivid description of that moment. Then in verse 17, he tells us 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He was responding physically to seeing the king. Now, this is not worship out of fear. This is worship out of reverence. We don't have to be like the Israelites in Exodus chapter 19 because I don't think it's possible to worship out of terror, which is why the Israelites had significant issues with God coming like he did. We see Moses, we see Isaiah, John, countless other examples throughout Scripture of people seeing and recognizing who God is and the reverence and worship that is given in response to that realization. You see, my worship becomes powerful when I realize who I am worshiping. And we have the opportunity to worship the King of all kings, the creator of the universe, the God who has been forever and will be forevermore. It is in realizing who He is that we realize how small we are. And that's where humility permeates our worship. Realizing how great God is results in our worship. But worship is also a proper response in realizing how small we are. Here I am, one person among seven billion on this planet, which in in the big picture of the universe is such a small speck amongst the grandeur of the stars and empty space around us. And yet, he sees us. And yet he knows us. And yet he left his throne on high to become one of us. Because he loves us. What a thought. That sparks our hearts to worship when we realize that. The psalmist echoed the sentiment in Psalm uh, chapter 8 verse 4. He said, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When we realize who God is, And the greatness of God, it helps us realize how small we are. And just like Isaiah, what a sinner we are. And that brings humility into the picture because we, who don't deserve the right to worship an awesome God, through Jesus have the opportunity to worship the King of all kings. That's a humbling thought. It really is. And that's why humility is the foundation of worship. It's realizing the greatness of God and the smallness of me. Not only do we see the humility of worship here in the the story of the wise men as they fell down and worshiped Jesus, we also see the intimacy of worship. Verse 11 goes on, it says, once they fell down and worshiped Jesus, they opened up their treasures. Now when we worship We open the recesses of our being in openness before God. What are you doing if you say that you're treasuring something? What are you saying when, hey, I'm I'm treasuring this or I treasure that? You're holding it close. You're holding it close to your heart. Not physically, but in the figurative sense, you're holding it close to your heart. It's not something that you open up to, uh, to just anybody about. You are selective. You are choosy as to who sees or who knows. Now in this story of the wise men, we see that they opened their treasures. Now, obviously they were opening up physical treasures to give as gifts, but the lesson remains true that in worship, we open up the treasures of our life to give our king. That is intimacy. 
That is closeness. That is worship. Through Jesus, we have intimacy with the Father. And thus, we have the privilege of worshiping. And because we have the privilege of worshiping, we worship. It's like a coin, right? A coin has two sides. On one side, Jesus brings us close. So we worship. On the other side, we worship. And as we worship, we are brought close to both and. Now, a few minutes ago, I mentioned Israel in Exodus chapter 19. They were so terrified, they did not come close to his presence. They had no desire to come close to the presence of God. They, they begged Moses, Moses, go before us. Go up for us and just talk to him on our behalf. We don't have to be like that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 24. Uh, it's just a wonderful passage of scripture. It kind of recounts that moment of Israel before Mount Sinai. But you know, here the author of Hebrews tells us that we have not come to that kind of mountain that the Israelites couldn't endure. But we have come to the mountain of the city of the living God. And he further explains what he means by that by saying we have come to Jesus, the mediator, or the one who stands in the middle. Because of Jesus, we can come close to the Father. And that both is through our worship and that is also deserving of our worship. That is the intimacy of worship. So we see the humility of worship. We see the intimacy of worship. But we also see here the sacrifice of worship. We read here again, we continue in verse 11. They opened up their treasures and they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men came and gave gifts to Jesus. Now, we, we don't know how much that was worth, but it wasn't something they could go to the local, local convenience store and pick up. Whatever the amount, these gifts were expensive. They cost these men something. Now, as I was reading this and pondering this, uh, uh, this thought, my mind was directed to the story of King David in 2 Samuel 24. David had disobeyed the Lord in taking a census of Israel. So God had sent a plague to the people. So David was going to offer burnt offerings as a plea for peace and mercy. He was directed by the Lord's prophet to build an altar on property owned by a man named Arauna. David went up and as he was commanded, and he offered to buy this property from Arauna. But Arauna wouldn't have it. He's like, you're the king. Take what you want. I'll even give you the oxen for the sacrifice. But David responded with words that ring throughout time. He said, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, which cost me nothing. As that is the essence of worship. Look what it cost these wise men. It cost them their time. Again, the, the timing is not exactly known, but indications are that it took months to years for these wise men to travel and find Jesus. It cost them resources. You see, we, we picture the wise men coming as three men. Right? We even sing songs about it. You know, three the three wise men, and right, we see that on the Christmas cards. But that's not how it would have happened. And that day, they would have been traveling in a large caravan. It would have cost them a lot of money, a lot of food, a lot, just a lot of resources in general. It cost them energy. It cost them time with family and friends. 
It cost them something to be in the house that day to offer Jesus their costly gifts. What is our worship costing us? What are we sacrificing? Now here it, it's important to remember that worship is not what we do on Sundays when the music team comes out on stage and plays four songs. That's not what worship is. Too often we, we marry songs with what worship is in our minds, but, but that's not it. So here comes, comes the cliche, but we have to say it. Worship is a lifestyle. I know that's been said time and time again, but if worship is a lifestyle, what is our lifestyle for Christ costing us? Because that's what worship is. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here, Paul is equating our worship with what following Jesus is costing us. What is following Jesus costing you? Because I want to be like David. I don't want to offer anything to the Lord that cost me nothing. Because if it costs me nothing, it means nothing to me. But if it costs me something, it means so much more. And then I'm giving God something that means something to me, which makes my worship meaningful. Worship is foundational to our relating with God. It begins with humility. It brings us close. There's intimacy in worship. And yes, worship or living for Jesus does cost us something. I want to thank you for listening I would appreciate it if you would rate this podcast, uh, subscribe if this is something you're interested in, and share it on your channels. May God bless his word and accomplish his purpose in your life.